0: Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We want to empower you, so we've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere that brings you tools previously only available to elite high performers. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great free content that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. Also at theartofcharm.com, we've got a great blog with tons of amazing content and in-depth articles. And, of course, if you're new to the show and you want to find out more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, you can go to the website and we'll email you a starter kit of all the top podcasts here on The Art of Charm. We'll send you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, persuasion, business networking and negotiation, relationship management, public speaking, and more. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. We're sold out five to six months in advance, so if you're even thinking about it a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP by phone or just email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com, and get some info from us now so you can plan ahead. We're looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with my friend, Ian Altman. He grew a company from a $100 million to over a billion in just three years. Now I know what you're thinking, he started with $100 million, cry me a river, big deal, but a billion dollars is still a lot of money no matter what, and he's a great guy, a really good friend of mine, I really like this guy, because not only is he damn persuasive, but he always holds his word, and I think that's really fascinating, because he balances it very deliberately. We're gonna talk about why it's better to be trusted than light and why it's not about the sale it's about the fit which earns the trust and what two questions you can ask to uncover the truth in either competitive business situations or relationships and when you ask for advice are you seeking validation or real input we're going to show you how to decipher that and a really cool drill for taking notes on the phone that will show you how to see through the gaps and read between the lines and help you uncover what you've overlooked so enjoy this one with ian altman Of course, you know this from just doing your own consulting that it's not the hour, it's the years you spent before that going through the school of hard knocks and getting millions of dollars in education, formally or informally, that have led you to the conclusions which you are now teaching that is the value.
2: Yeah, I mean, and this is something that I teach all the time, which is, look, there isn't a single person that hires me that says, you know what? I'd pay $20,000 an hour for that, (laughs) Right? right? What they're saying is, yeah, you know what? I guess it's worth $20,000 for this person to have enough experience and knowledge and alleged wisdom that they're able to distill it down to something we can consume in an hour.
0: Yeah, it's it. you're right. It's the distillate. What's that like silly cliche that everyone loves? It's like an Instagram meme. It's like, the engineer went around and kicked the tire and fixed the problem and they're like, I'm not paying for that and then it's like, Oh, you're not paying for the tire kick, you're paying for the ten years of schooling that it took for me to know which tire to kick or some shit.
2: Yeah, it's it's the joke of the HVAC guy comes into your house and says, Oh, so you have a problem with your HVAC system. Yeah, okay, let me take a look at it and walks around, walks around and takes a little ball peen hammer and hits like just this one spot. And as soon as he does, like, you know, everything's fixed. And he goes, hey, that's, you know, it's $100. Like, $100? I mean, it took you five minutes. And he goes, okay, here's the bill. $5 to uh to, to hit this thing with a hammer is 50 cents, right? $99.50 is knowing where to hit it.
0: Right, if, yeah, exactly. It's funny because when we met, I was like, oh, this guy's really cool. This guy's really fun. I didn't know you were such a, a big deal, man. You got a, a lot of experience. And I knew you were heavy duty into business and stuff like that, but I didn't realize... Quite exactly what you did because I don't even think we talked about business. Business. I think we just joked no, around. it. That's about. the beauty of it, right? Right.
2: That's the point. That's the thing that most people don't get. Is <laughs> it's like, like it's like um when the first night I got there, Chris Brogan and I connected and we're having dinner, and so uh, we ran into someone later, like, oh, you guys were talking, man. I wish I was a fly on the wall there. What were you guys talking about? We're like, um let's see, our kids travel relationships, like right. nothing that you would expect us. Like we were talking about life and it had nothing to do with business because like we talk business all day long and no one wants to talk about that. And it's funny because I'm sure you, know, you get some of your students or listeners who they might be talking about business when they go out on a date. They might be talking about themselves, but they really should be talking about the other person anyhow. So it's yeah. a whole other thing.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I think you and I originally, I mean, we talked for a minute Probably during the day, but then we went out to dinner and I'm sitting next to you. And I, my first thought was, wow, this guy's really gregarious, you know, cause that can go to one of two ways. It can be like, okay, shut your face. I'm, I'm had it <laughs> with this guy, but I was like, oh, this, this guy's really fun. I'm really glad I'm on this side of the table. That's good positioning, right? And it, I didn't realize you were in sales. Now it makes total sense, of course, after <laughs> doing a little bit of background checking because. Your job, and correct me wherever I'm wrong here, is just to get people to like and trust you. The product, the sale, the whole deal can kind of come later on.
2: In in fact, I would say trust is more important than like. Yes, that's good. Let's talk about that. People
0: ask me this question all the time, or they'll say, you know, you're not very likable if I tell them something they don't like to hear, but I'm like, but you know I'm right. Yeah. Let's go into that a little bit. Uh,
2: All right, cool. Think of it this way, and this is something I spend a lot of time with people on, and I have these spirited debates with CEOs and executives who will say, no, no, you know, I think like is more important than trust. And I say, look, the trifecta is like trust and respect. We would all like to do business, whether it be in relationships with people we like, we respect, and we trust. But if you had to pick one, what would it be? And so people are like, oh, you know, you'll get this back and forth conversation. And when I ask people, I say, okay, how many of you are involved in business with somebody who maybe you don't like that much, but you trust their knowledge and their expertise? So even though they maybe are a doctor with a bad bedside manner or an attorney is a little bit abrupt or an accountant who's got a dead personality, you still trust that person? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone raised their hand. Okay, how many of you know somebody who may be a family member one of your dearest friends in the world but for whatever reason you wouldn't do business with it. everyone raises their hand great so trust trumps like now in an ideal world we'd love to find people we trust and like right but as soon as trust goes out the window no one cares about like right nobody
0: wants to yeah exactly because there's always going to be the counterexample of yeah i really like that guy he's really funny and you know he's a great guy to have a beer with yeah will you invest in my business oh <laughs> yeah no, no i can't do that you know you're a great guy and all, but it,
2: it's exactly it. And, it, and and that's where the, that's where the trust factor comes in. I'm fortunate in that in what I do, I have the ability to be very selective in the clients that I work with, so it's very rare that I get a client who I don't like working with because candidly, I'm just not going to do that. If I don't like them, I'll just walk here here's any money you've paid me, and just we're done because life is too short, I don't want to deal with people I don't like, right. I always tell people, look, if you trust them, you don't have to go hang out with them. But once that trust is gone, who cares about anything else? Because at that point, you're just, you don't know when they're going to stab you in the back. <laughs>
0: but you're sure it's going to happen. That's a good point, right. Yeah, because there's that greed there, that little that little hitch there that you're like, nah, it's just not working for me. And and that's a dangerous place to be. And you can't, people think you can keep folks like that at bay, whether this is in your business life or not. Do You think, well, you know, I'm going to keep this person at arm's length. But whenever you have to look over your shoulder in business or in a relationship for that matter, you're in trouble.
2: Absolutely, and there's so many of these things that cut across business and personal. And a lot of times I'll share concepts with people and they say, well, so that's for business. And then you'll you'll see the wheel spinning like, I could use that in dating, couldn't I? (laughs) Like actually you could, but that's not my expertise. Other people have expertise in that area, but absolutely you could. And there's certain techniques we talk about in a business context. That thankfully you would never use in a personal environment.
0: Yeah, there, yeah. There's lots of that as well. And frankly, so you're a two-time best-selling author. You, even Seth Godin was like, "Hey, read this book on B2B selling." You started and grew companies, and one of them, I mean, nine figures. That's like you don't hear nine figures very often. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of commas, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> congratulations on that. And and selling with integrity, people talk about that a lot. You don't hear a lot of well, yeah, and it applies at the highest level. Usually, when you hear selling with integrity, you're talking about somebody who sells a $29 product on, on a, you know some sort of website, <laughs> and they're a blogger. You rarely hear about it from somebody who's made a billion dollars doing it. That's powerful, because it shows you that whole thing, like, oh yeah, it breaks down once you play with the big boys, it just isn't true.
2: Yeah, and once again, a lot of this stuff cuts across business and personal, It used to be that businesses could almost get away with selling stuff, whether it worked or didn't work. Right. And what would happen is, if it didn't work, people would tell the people in their community. And their community might have been three people, five people, eight people, and now their community is billions of people. So the advent of social media has made it so that old school sales tactics that are dishonest just don't work anymore. And... If you spend time trying to make sure that whoever you're selling to is getting the results they anticipated, then you're gonna get a lot of repeat and referral business. And if you don't deliver the results, then you're probably gonna get a lot of complaints and you're gonna be a flash in the pan. So you might make the short term sale, but long term you're not gonna succeed. Yeah, that's actually really interesting.
0: You ever bought anything in another country and it's like it's screwed up and you go back there? I remember the first time I learned this, I can't remember where I was, but I bought something in another country and I went back and I was like, this is broken. And they're like, it, it definitely yeah, is. It and is. I'm like, well, I bought it from you yesterday and it, do you it, buy another one? it was broken. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, um, I can fix it for $20. And I'm like, no, I, I bought it from you yesterday. And they're like, let me see if I got a glue gun. And I'm like, no, dude, I want a new one or I want a refund. And they're like, no, we don't it, do that.
2: Exactly. And I'm
0: just like oh my God, I'm so powerless right now because I was used to going to like Macy's and being like, yeah, I don't really like this and I know it's been 90 days and I don't have a receipt and they're like, don't worry about it. Is there something here that you'd like better even though you've clearly worn this a lot and I'm like, I'm a
1: douchebag.
2: Dude, dude, 90 days, most of these stores, it's like, look, so I bought this when I was seven and I never (laughs) wore it and they're like, well, (laughs) I mean, I I can't give you the full retail for it but I can give you 60 cents on the dollar for this thing you bought in 19, you know, 87. Yeah, okay,
0: great. It, it's funny, you hear those stories about, like, I, I don't even know the guy's name, but Nordstrom, somebody walked in with, like, a set of used tires, yeah. and he was like, listen, he told his clerk, who was just fuming, listen, just do something for this guy, it's all good. They, like, gave this guy something in return for these used tires because it meant more to him to be of service to everybody than it did to just like he literally I mean he lost a lot of money, he had to throw away tires and give this guy new product. But it, it somehow computed for him to just get that right over it's, that it's money. funny
2: you give that example. In same side selling there's a section I write about um restraint and basically helping your customer find the right solution even if it's not yours. And I tell a story about a guy named Van Mensa who has historically been the number one or one of the top two or three salespeople at Nordstrom for like 20 years. I mean, the guy is just legendary. He'll sell more pre-sale before the sale starts than like the entire department will sell for the next three weeks. I mean, the guy is just a legend. And I had the good fortune of this was the guy I bought suits from forever. And to this day, it's funny, I'll buy custom suits from him at Nordstrom rather than go to a custom tailor, because I know he's going to take care of me. And the story I I wrote about in the book is, I was taking a trip, I think it was the UK, and I didn't have any like, you know, warm gloves that would go with like a top coat and everything. So I, I went to him, we try on everything, and nothing fit right. I got big paws and big hands. And so he says, I know what you need. And we walk in this mall, out the door at Nordstrom, to the other end of the mall, to a Macy's. Walks to the men's furnishings department. The salesperson's trying to like pitch me stuff. He's like, no, no, I need to show Mr. Altman this particular brand in Excel. Great. I put it on. He goes, how does that feel? I said, "Wow, that's great. He says, we complete the transaction. We're walking back to Nordstrom now. And he says, oh, and this goes without saying, but if you have any issues with these gloves, just bring them back to me and I'll take care of them.
0: Right, like bring back a product that we bought from another store where he got paid exactly. nothing and he will return them for you instead. I love how you dropped in the XL, like, yo, just just so everyone yeah. knows. I mean,
2: it's <laughs> just, it's just, it's just kind of <laughs> funny, but it was like, you know, he's just making sure like, hey, bottom line, you need a pair of gloves, you're going on your trip and we don't sell them and I'm not going to send you down to this other place where they're not going to take care of you. So I'm going to hand deliver you down there, get this thing and walk you back. So think about it. There's a guy who took half hour, 45 minutes off the floor at a busy time of year to make sure that I got what I needed for no financial gain for himself. Now, having said that, over the years, we've moved. And now I drive past two Nordstrom to get to the third Nordstrom where he works. So I drive 45 minutes away when I could drive 10 minutes away or 30 minutes away to get to the Nordstrom where he works. and you know i call and make an appointment and i only work with him and that's it but this is like i've known this guy for you know going on 25 years now
0: that's awesome and it it's an interesting kind of coincidence because nobody likes being sold to generally in business or outside of business it's about finding a fit yeah. in your case quite literally yeah. like finding a fit <laughs> but the point stands right because you mentioned this briefly when we met in florida as well it's about finding the right solution for the customer. Can you give an example of that, maybe even in a more businessy context? Because I think people are like, yeah, 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 it's all fine when it's a pair of gloves, but if you're talking about a computer software system that's 100 grand, you would never do that, but you would actually do that.
2: Absolutely, and I'll give you a perfect example, and in, in this example, it works out really well, but, but I'll give you the example. We had, in my prior business, we had a client of ours, big telecommunications company, that sounds a lot like Verizon. Um, so these guys were a client of ours. They approached one of my sales guys about this project and wanted to use our software to solve this problem that they had. And so my sales guy, Steve, is out meeting with a client, talking to them, and we're looking at a solution that was probably about, in total, about $150,000. And Steve says, you know, these guys don't have the money for it, but, you know, here's the meeting I have. I hear it's Verizon. I'm like, look, it's half far from me. I'm going to go with you on this meeting. So I go down there and the head of this department, we're speaking with her, brilliant woman, and she's sharing what they're trying to do and, and periodically she'd look at Steve and say, will the software do that? And Steve, being a stereotypical sales okay. guy, said, oh yeah, yeah, it'll do that. And the whole time, as she's describing what she's doing, I'm thinking, our software is not the right fit for this. Right, it's, will it do that? You're like, "What well, is is that really gonna? You know, it could do it, but it's really not designed to do this. So eventually, she says, hey, so will it do this? And Steve's starting to say yes. And I said, let me interrupt for a second. Everything you're describing, Steve's absolutely right. The software could do that, but it's really not designed to do that. My fear is that initially everything's going to work great. And as the system grows, you're going to have performance issues. It's not going to meet your needs. And you're going to end up having to replace it probably 18 months to three years out. It's just not going to do what you really want. And you're going to have now like a homegrown thing that really isn't designed to do what you wanted it to do. And so she looks at me and she says, well, have you guys built like a custom platform that does exactly this? And of course, my man, Steve, wanted to say yes. And I said, you know what? We built similar things for big pharmaceutical companies, healthcare, insurance, but Never this exact thing related to how you're tracking your projects. And she looks at me and she says, you know, I've talked to like four or five other vendors who all say that they've built something exactly like this. So I look at her, I said, you know, hey, that's great. I'm glad you got it covered. She goes, no, they're all full of it. Right. They're all lying too. Because if someone had something like this, I would know about it because I'm dialed in the industry. The fact that you guys are so transparent about what you do and what you don't. I'd rather work with you. She looks at me and says, what do you think it would take to build this thing out? I said, look, just a prototype based on what you've described right now, you're looking at probably the better part of three quarters of a million dollars. You're gonna spend three or $4 million building an actual system like this. And then based on what you told me about your users, you're probably looking at spending a million dollars a year just in maintaining the system. So, I mean, you tell me, is that even worth looking at? And she says, well, how soon could you guys start? And and we ended up doing millions of dollars of business with them on this project because we were willing to say, no, this isn't a fit when it isn't a fit. Now, every story doesn't end up that way. In some cases you say, no, it's not a fit. These other guys can help you and you're done. I see, right, because either way you're earning the trust. Absolutely, here's the thing. That client, anytime anything came up, we were the first call they made. Hey, can you guys help do this? And if not, who should we talk to? Because We had built such a level of trust that it worked out great. And everybody involved in business has had the bad client, the toxic client, the client where they really shouldn't have done business together, but now you're in the deal and you're not making money and they're not happy. And it's like this like sinkhole of time and major distraction. It's just it's it's a bad deal. So bad deals never work out well. And it's the same, thing. I mean, if you got a relationship where you're just not seeing eye to eye, you try and force that, it never turns out well. People are like, well, you know, I, I guess we could go out, but not so much, it just doesn't work out.
3: Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't
1: to search at all. Don't search, match
0: Yeah, there's, there's tons of that. And I think a lot of people, they, they are looking at the, the short-term, the sale, instead of what's going to be best for the customer. And it's easy to say that in business, but if you're thinking about this for relationships, this happens all the time as well. Just personal stuff, dating stuff aside, there's tons of people that go, well, you know, I really want to be friends with this person, or I really want to date this person, or I really, really want to stay married to this person, because they don't want to rock the boat, or they don't want to admit that there's sort of like sunk cost there, like you said in the deal. But if, when you look at it from a business perspective, if you're sitting there nodding and going, "Yeah, we should definitely do that in business." I, I urge everyone to sort of apply that to their friendships and their personal relationships too, because there's probably something in there where you're going, "Oh yeah, that's different," because oh god, I don't want to think about that.
2: Yeah, right. It's it's a matter of that little voice that says mm, maybe this isn't right that voice is usually dead on yeah. and we just go, eh, maybe I'm just overthinking it <laughs> and not really. I mean, the the people who acquired my business, I remember right before we completed the transaction, I just had this feeling like the chairman of the company, I'm like, you know, there's just something a little bit, this seems a little bit odd with this guy. And maybe he's just like the stereotypical New Yorker. I don't know. Like, you know, you can get in all these stereotypes. I'm like, ah, eh, it's nothing. And then, so, Years later, we grow, everything's successful, I leave the company, a couple of years later, this guy gets indicted on like counts of fraud for doing all these things uh. he shouldn't have done, and it was like, man, my spider sense was pretty good, I just didn't listen to it.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for intuition. I, I spoke with a couple of guys who register for the Art of Charm program, and everybody who's ever sort of been cheated on or anything like that, they always say, you know, I knew it years ago, I had these weird, sort of gut feelings that I ignored. They weren't based on any evidence. It was just, it was the way that he looked at my wife at dinner that one night, or, or something like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah that. And it's always twenty twenty hindsight, but if you can learn to trust those intuitions and things like that, obviously you'll end up really sharp and you can always see that. You're good at uncovering things like that, like uncovering the truth in competitive business situation, relationships. I know you and I had talked, you have a couple of questions that you ask to uncover the truth in, in situations like that. Would you share those with us?
2: Sure, in competitive situations in business, there are two key questions that a lot of people don't think to ask. And when you're gonna hear them, it's one of those V8 moments where it's like, oh man, why didn't I think of that? But it really comes down to this. The first one is, so let's say they already got, in a business context, they've already got an existing vendor. So you could say to them, You know, these other guys, I'm sure they're doing a great job for you. We like to get a sense of maybe where we're deficient and other people are doing a better job. Can you tell me some of the things that you like best about working with those other people? And they'll often share with you all the things that they like. And then you say, well, if you could change one or two things about them, what would those be? And the beauty is that if I said, what don't you like, they'll get defensive immediately because they probably pick that other vendor. But if I say, what would you change about them? It's kind of opens up possibilities. And now they'll say, well, you know, I wish that they were more responsive. I wish they were more creative. I mean, you know, pick the profession. It could be anything. And then you just get to simply say, is the potential of working with somebody who could overcome those issues worth a discussion about how we might be able to help? And it ties into this notion of something we call disarming, which I didn't say, oh, then, hey, you should talk to us because we're great now the customer is going to say oh that's kind of slimy but if you say hey is the potential of solving what you just told me your current person can't do worth a discussion about how we can help and that little sequence of questions usually takes like you know 90 seconds to 3 minutes in total and you get amazing insight into what matters to your customer and what doesn't
0: interesting right so how does that go specifically again so how do we know we need to ask that question first of all
2: well so What you have to recognize in a business context is, look, there's a finite set of reasons why somebody would switch from whatever they've been doing as the status quo to you. And generally, it's because the current solution they have, which in some cases is no solution, the current solution they have isn't meeting their needs. Either the existing vendor has totally dropped the ball or the business needs have changed and now you're not sure if that person can do what you need. You know, if you think about it, it's the same thing. If it was on a personal level, well, either hey, this is the person for me, and I think this is going to be the person I'm with the rest of my life, or you know what? There's some things I like about him, and some things I wish I could change. that I don't know, I can ever change. It's the same psychology of it. You're still married, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm still married. Exactly. <laughs> just checking.
0: I just that's I'm checking the validity of your. Uh...
2: <laughs> By the way, and and the, and the reason I'm still married is because my wife's extremely patient. Ah, got it. Okay, she asks the right <laughs> questions too. I, 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 I exactly. See. And so the idea is that if you ask your client, hey, what do you like best about this other vendor? Or for that matter, it's open competition. I say, hey, if if we weren't available, if we were beyond capacity and we just couldn't handle your, your needs right now, can you tell me some of the things you like about the vendor you'd be leaning towards? So let's say if I was an accounting firm, I might say, oh, so you guys already have accountants doing this stuff. Hey, what do you like best about what they're doing for you? Because we like to get a sense of maybe Where we're not doing things as well as we could. And they'll brag and say, oh, they do this. They make sure that our stuff is filed on time and it's accurate. And they'll cover stuff that really is just table stakes. And then you say, okay, so if you could change one or two things about them, what would those be? Oh, man. I mean, we get these surprise tax bills in the 11th hour. Oh, really? How does that impact you? Well, I mean, all of a sudden we're having to write a check and Sometimes, you know, it's like, how could we owe tax on it? We didn't make money. And then we're scrambling for where we're going to find the money. And it impacts payroll. And we get all this tension between the partners. Okay. Is the potential of working with someone who gave a little bit more advanced notice and plans, he didn't have surprises, worth the discussion about how we might be able to help? And so that sequence of what do you like about them? If you could change one or two things, what are those? And then finishing up with... Is the potential of fixing that worth a discussion about how we might be able to help? Creates that little trifecta that allows you to uncover what's important to them and then ask them questions to see if it's important enough to solve.
0: Right, right, because you have to be solving the right problems in order to get the deal in the first place.
2: Exactly, and guess what? They might share with you that the other people are doing great. Like, the biggest question I get asked with that is, so if I ask them what they like and they tell me all these things and I say, well, what would you change? And there's nothing they would change. Then what? I say, well, so then there might be two or three things that you guys do that your competitors don't. And you say, look, some of our clients tell us this is important or that's important. How about for you? And they're either going to say, yeah, that's a good point. I had not thought about that. That is important. Or they might say, no, it's really not that important. And then people say, so then what do you do? I say, well, if they just said that they like everything about their current vendor, and if the other stuff that you do that others don't isn't important to them, then your job is to say, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're in good hands. You know, I wish you the best of everything. Would, would you mind if I followed up with you in four months, six months, just to see if anything's changed on your end or our end that might warrant an additional conversation? And if you do it that way, they're gonna invite you back in because they realize you're not trying to push the deal, you're just trying to find a fit. That's perfect, and
0: again, it's all about earning that trust. Now, you're really good at asking questions, obviously. that's. Listening is, is the biggest part of, of sales, especially when it comes to big deals like the ones that you do. But a lot of our listeners are either in transition from one job to another or they're getting their first job if they're younger coming out of school. Do you have, do you have great questions to ask for when you're applying for a job? Cause surely you've hired and surely you're one of the top question askers that, that I've met. So I'd love to hear your opinion on that.
2: Um, you know what? I think we all think that other people are better than we are. I will tell you there's there's a couple that I really like, and and it falls into the same category. I've got an article about this in Forbes recently that's uh, that's been pretty popular. The question you ask is if you're if you're the candidate, we'll ask questions like, so you've probably had people in this position. So here we'll we'll role play this. You get to play the employer. So I'd say, right. hey, hey Jordan, I, I realize you're looking for this position. You've probably had people in this position who have been successful and not successful, right? Uh, of course. Can you tell me some of the things that, like, some of the attributes that you saw in people who were successful, what made them successful? And now you go through and you describe what makes them successful. And what about for the people who weren't so successful? What kind of attributes did they have?
0: Sure. So now I'm starting to say attention to detail, and they show up on time, and they communicate whether or not the news is good or bad. And the people who haven't done that, of course, haven't done those things, but also they've been more concerned about managing their perception of how they, how great they look to us rather than the results that they're actually getting or something like that.
2: Right? Ah, I got it, okay. So that is a pretty sharp contrast. Uh, so based on our initial conversations, which attributes do you think I have? Oh, now, oh, now I have to
0: match <laughs> them to you. Yeah.
2: And what's gonna happen is human nature is, well, I don't want this person to feel bad. And guess what? All we want is the truth anyhow. So if they said, you know what, honestly, I think you're probably more in the negative camp. Then you know, don't hold out for that job because you're not getting it.
0: Right, well, you showed up late and you're not really dressed appropriately and you keep burping, so.
2: Exactly, so this probably isn't gonna work for you. The flatulence is really, really sending a bad message. Exactly,
0: yeah, huh, interesting.
2: Before your next interview, don't eat chili. Right. I remember I was president of a country club at one point and there was a guy who came in to interview for membership. We would interview every candidate, and this guy comes in and you know was convinced he was a really big deal, which everybody joining a club at some level has the right to feel they're a big deal, but the whole idea of a club is that everyone's the same, no one's a big deal and so this guy comes in and he's got his at the time Blackberry with him, and I'm asking questions, and he's like checking his email and messages on his blackberry so about seven minutes into this discussion, I said, "Hey, listen, you know, I can tell you got something pressing going on." So, you know, let me let you get to that and we'll just wrap up from there. And he looks up me and he goes, well, so am I in? I said, well, we'll get back to you. So then the membership coordinator of the club calls him up and says, yeah, I understand you had some other things going on that were really pressing. So Mr. Altman said he's happy to meet with you next month on this date at this time. And so the guy says, oh, you know, that's not really convenient for me. She says, well, then should we, you know, withdraw your application? Oh well, if that's the case, yeah, then I could make it. She says, oh, that's great. I'm glad it worked out for you. By the way, you may want to leave your BlackBerry in the car. Oh, wow. Did he get the hint? He got the hint. He got the hint. But but it's kind of funny. I mean, it, you know, if, if I had known you at the time, we would have said, look, you may want to leave your BlackBerry in the car and listen to this show.
0: <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, it, it sucks because I think a lot of people are so accustomed to checking messages and things like that. They don't even realize that they're doing it anymore. And for me, I know I went through a period, if you're really comfortable with people, you fall into this trap because you might be sitting with somebody that you love, your girlfriend, your wife, or, or your husband, and you're, you just bust out your phone and you, you don't have that weird nag. Normally if you're in new company, you're like, I should put my phone away, this is rude. But somehow all that goes out the window with enough familiarity. And so people who are really comfortable, which is a bad sign if you're trying to maintain a professional environment, they'll do that without even noticing. Uh, And I notice that engineers do it a lot because it's kind of like, well, I'm doing my job. You know, I'm on the ball. I'm really responsive. I'm checking my email all the time. Meanwhile, their boss is sitting in front of them and going, hello, is this thing on?
2: Yeah, as I've often said, when I'm speaking at an event and you get the person who's got their phone like under the table or under the desk like as if you can't see it, and I'll often ask them, Hey, just curious. Are you playing with your phone or yourself? Cause I can't tell from this angle. And oh, it's wow. Like, <laughs> and it's like, Oh, uh, uh, it's like, Hey, dude, look, if you're tweeting or something, you'd have it out on the table and you'd be like, you know, Hey, this is a good line. I'm tweeting it out. If once you got under the table, it's like, look, you're obviously doing something that you're uncomfortable with. So like, then just leave the room. It's cool. Wow,
0: if you have you actually said that to somebody? Because (laughs) I mean, did they laugh or were they like? Oh yeah, I mean, I I was thinking
2: more for the entertainment value to the rest of the room. Of course, the other six hundred people thought it was pretty funny.
0: Sure, yeah, that guy
2: probably not so much. And candidly, he laughed and said, "You know, hey, sorry, I was just checking something." I said, "No, no, hey, if if you got it, we can all wait."
0: Oh yeah, like this is what you're balancing all of our time versus what you're doing right now. It becomes pretty clear. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. You're no stranger to asking for advice as well and you had a really interesting point on this subject as well. A lot of people ask for advice and they're not actually seeking real input and that's kind of a brilliant insight because I know I've definitely done this. So for if, if you're listening out there and you're thinking, yeah, I ask for advice all the time, I'm really good about it, and you're the type of person that goes, hey, what do you think about this? And the person says, well, I like suit letter A better, and you get angry about it, or you go, well, what B has this and this and this. You're not maybe really seeking real input, right? You're just looking for validation or confirmation. I think this is a really interesting distinction, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, because I can see that being huge in business, especially at the higher levels when it comes to strategy and things like
2: that. Sure. Human nature is we want validation. We want someone to tell us how brilliant we are, how great we did. But you only improve when you overcome any deficiencies that you have. And so the most valuable input you can get is the critical feedback that maybe isn't so fun to take. And so what I often ask people, look, if you're asking and someone then says, oh, yeah, I didn't really like this part. And now you start defending it, then you've missed the point. Right. It's like, oh, but here's why I did it that way. The correct answer is, wow, thanks for your input. And then internalize it. And then if you disagree, you can discard it. But once you get combative, you're never going to get candid feedback from that person. There's an event that a couple of friends of mine and I put on every year called the Remarkable Growth Experience. And it's two other guys, Marcus Sheridan and Joey Coleman. And it, both just really talented speakers who put on this two-day event. And every time one of us gets off stage, the first question we ask is, hey, what do you think I should have done differently? Because we're not looking for each other to say, oh, dude, you rocked it. You were awesome. We want to know what was the one sentence that just didn't seem right? What was the one slide that we put up a half second sooner than we should have because next time we do it it gets that much better and so this one guy joey coleman i was delivering some workshops in denver last week and joey happens to live in denver i said hey why don't you come in and do a half hour each day so the first day absolutely killed him people came up to me afterwards like man he was awesome he was amazing incredible fantastic joey and i were having dinner that night i said hey joey you know you said all of you do this, and I think the people who don't think they do it now tune out. How would you feel about saying, look, most of you statistically are doing this? Instead of saying, oh, and he goes, man, that's great. I'm going to do it that way from now on. And the next day, like as if he'd been saying it that way forever, boom, most people do it this way. And the audience responded great, but it's like he was able to take this feedback, even as someone who's at the top of his game, and make an adjustment that makes them that much better.
0: All right, back to the show. Yeah, I think it, it becomes very difficult to do that because if you don't look for the real input, you can't really improve, right? And everybody wants to really improve, but in the moment, you're not necessarily after that. Sometimes you're looking after the validation. So how do we... How do we make this distinction? Do we realize, okay, when I'm asking for something, I have to actually want the input? Or Do you just wait for a while until you're not emotionally attached to it? Or do you just kind of get over it and realize, listen, the best time to get feedback is right now. The best way to get feedback is to ask right away. And the best way to get real feedback is to not react to it negatively, which is easier said than done. I mean.
2: Absolutely. One of the things I'd suggest is if you really want that feedback, but maybe... Right after you ask, you're like second guessing, like, "Eh, maybe I didn't really want the negative feedback. Then you start with, hey, what are the two or three things that you really liked about, you know, what I just did? Great. So what are the one or two things that that if I changed would make it a whole lot better? And that way, it strokes your ego a little bit that says, hey, this was really good. And then you get the critical feedback. I mean, we were at the program together with Michael Port. And Michael says, hey, look, I want people only giving positive feedback. Amy and I will give critical feedback. And candidly, at, for anybody starting out, that's exactly the formula to follow. I believe once you get to a certain level and you know that, hey, you know what, I'm good enough. I don't need someone to say, hey, wow, your tone was good. Your tempo was good. I want to know what to fix. But you need to be in the mindset that says, look, no matter how good people thought it was, I know it can always get better. And once you get in that mindset, then negative feedback isn't negative. It's constructive, and you can do something with it. Right. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. It's funny because Michael
0: Port came up. He's my speaking coach as well, and he sat next to me a couple of weeks ago, and he goes, so I don't do that whole this part was good, that part was good, but here's what you need to work on. So here's a list of all the stuff that you did wrong, and I was laughing because you know that only a certain type of person can handle this and it comes from getting beat up so much, but seeing the results of getting beat up that much, that you go, okay, I don't need to like feel good about this before, so I have something. I'm good at speaking in this area and I need work in this area. It's like, just give me what needs work. I already know I'm good at other stuff. I feel like that does come with growth. Because when I was in my 20s, if you were like, hey, you need to work on this, 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 and this, I'd be like, you know what, you're a dick. I don't care, or like, uh, you know what, your short's ugly, so you work on vocal tonality. I mean, I don't know why I did that, it's just ego, it's something that you just gotta eventually absorb, and I think the, the transition for me came from, oh, these people are telling me because they want me to get better at this, they want me to get better at this because they know that's what it takes to succeed. I apply this stuff, and when I do, I do see better results, which results in me getting more money or better success in the career, this ends up being better. You value it more than you value the, well that was really good, and now I find myself on the other end of the scale where someone's like, that talk was really good, and you're like, yeah, but I need to work on this, 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 and this, and you go, thanks, you know, and you're just like, if only you knew, right? Yeah. Frankly, when when you get feedback from somebody that that gives you something really pointed, you go, oh, that's good, that's insightful. Because the better you get at a skill, the harder it is to find something that needs improvement. So when people do find something and you see that as a legitimate critique and not just them being nitpicky, it's really, really valuable.
2: Absolutely. These guys, Marcus and Joey, that I I speak a number of events with, we had a conference that was really successful. And afterwards they said, you know, I just don't think you're vulnerable enough on stage. I was like, wow, that's awesome. And I was telling someone the story like, Oh, were you pissed? I'm like, no, because like, where else are you gonna get that kind of honest feedback? That's great. These guys know me well enough that, okay, that's something to work on. And I've spent the last year like intently working on having that vulnerability because my feeling is if I don't show that level of vulnerability, then I'm not perceived to be as accessible, which means the message that I think can really help people doesn't get through to them. So I could either be egotistical and say, well, I don't care about that. Or I can say, man, I got to fix that. If there's people you trust, then take their input at face value and embrace it. And you might not adopt everything that people tell you about. That's okay. But I always say that if you feel you're really good and you think you don't need to improve, then compared to everyone else, you're going to be stagnant. And the other people improving themselves are going to catch up to you and surpass you.
0: Ah, that's a good way to look at it, right? Because if you're one of those people who's motivated by competition, that should do the trick.
2: Absolutely. Well, and guess what? Even if you're not motivated by competition, it's just kind of a, a you know, a Darwinist theory if you if you think of it. It's like, hey, look, if you're not improving your game and someone else is, then all of a sudden you're not as desirable as someone else. And that can be professionally, personally. So it's just a matter of are you doing everything you can to maximize the best you, whatever that happens to be. So it's you know if you just compare yourself to you, you don't have to be competitive against someone else. Are, are you better today at things than you were a year ago? I guarantee if you look at talks that you gave a year ago versus today, you're better today than you were a year ago. And every time I'm looking at talks, I will every three or four months look at a talk from a year ago just to see, man, wow, I thought that was really good, but it's better now. But it's crap. I'm I'm afraid to watch video of me
0: from even two months ago, because I know it's <laughs> awful. I've come a long way, baby. Now, one thing I'd like you to leave us with this. You've got this really cool four-quadrant grid that you use for taking okay. notes in phone conversations. And yep. it's kind of like, how does everyone not know this? Is that something you can explain in an, on the radio format?
2: Sure. So the idea is this. Very often, people come out of a business meeting, and someone says, man, how'd the meeting go? And they go, oh, it was great. You know, really, what made it great? They say, oh, you know, they they loved me. We really got along well, really connected. Really? What else? Oh, we had a great conversation. Which would be a perfectly fine explanation if you were dating. But in a business context, it's not information that tells us whether the deal is real or not. And so the idea is that people struggle with what information should they collect and how do you structure that in in an actual business meeting. And so what I do is we created something called same side quadrants. And it's four quadrants. So if you took a blank sheet of paper, you draw a vertical line down the center and then a horizontal line across the center. So you have four equal quadrants. In the upper left, you put a little word issue. In the upper right, you put impact and importance. In the lower left, you write the word results. Lower right, you write others impacted. Then as you have discussions with the customer, issue is kind of the tip of the iceberg. So for example, it would be, oh, here's this issue we're trying to solve. Here's this problem we're facing. Great. Impact and importance is things like if we don't solve it, here's what happens to our business. If we keep having to deal with this this way, here's the negative impact on us as a business as well as me personally. And importance is generally compared to other things, how important it is to solve this. Then as I'm talking to my client, I say, well, Let's say we implement everything we talked about six months out. How would we know whether or not we're successful? Because simply having completed it doesn't make it successful. Just because you bought it and we sold it doesn't mean that we were successful. What results would you see in your business that would let us know that we achieved success? And we capture that there. And then when we get to others' impact in the lower right, we say, who else is impacted by this? What's the best way for us to include them in a way that's comfortable for you? The beauty in having this this little four quadrants is that as you're asking these questions and taking notes, you're putting the information into the respective boxes. What that means is that with a simple glance at the sheet of paper, you can tell what you forgot to cover. So you say, oh man, we never talked about results. So now if you want to know which opportunity is real and which one isn't, guess what? It's the one where they can quantify the impact the clearest and where they know exactly what results they're looking for. Those are real opportunities. And if those boxes are empty, then you're probably more passionate about solving their problem than they are.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I'll put it in the show notes and people can go, oh, okay, that way they don't have to rewind this 87 times and go, wait, which goes in which box? I think that's brilliant because now you know what you've overlooked, right? You know, okay, oh, I didn't ask about this or what's the real purpose of this conversation? Having you read between the lines when you've actually taken good notes is a lot easier than just either remember what somebody said or, to go through a cryptic page of notes and go, yep, seems all right. You're writing persuasively for yourself if you're taking your own notes and you're not boxing them up.
2: Yeah, and the idea is this way you're kind of categorizing the comments, and if all of a sudden you realize that there's a section missing, you can actually tell the client, you know, I've been taking notes and one of the things I've been trying to capture is the impact this issue has on your business, and there's nothing really I've gathered. I mean, is this a problem that's even worth solving? Let your customer convince you that yeah, this is worth solving.
0: Huh. Convince you that it's even worth solving. I guess I don't really know exactly what that means.
2: So think of it this way, you're the customer and now you've said, let's say you're you're the customer and someone's an IT vendor, and you're thinking about, yeah, you want to put in a new phone system. And you say, Okay, well, so you want to put in a new phone system. I mean, what's wrong with your current system? Well, you know, I just think we want to get a new one. Okay, so if you don't replace it, I mean, how's that impact the business? And the person says, "Eh, you know what? You know, it's not really that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. I might say to you, look, Jordan, my sense is though you guys would like to put a new phone system. There's nothing really negative that's happened to your business because you don't have this system. Are we missing something? And usually what happens is the client, because they've been, they've been kind of guarded up to that point, And now we've disarmed the notion we're just there to sell something because we tell them, look, maybe this isn't a fit. And the client says, well, the reality is this, that our current phone system keeps crashing, and we can't transfer calls, and people end up in like this black hole hole, and they're pissed off, and we lost our best client. Oh, now I get it.
0: Right, yeah. They Let them make the case. Now they're selling themselves your product.
2: Yeah, let them convince you why your stuff matters. What I always say is that if the person doing the selling is more passionate about solving the problem than the customer is, then bring your wallet, because you're going to have to pay for whatever it is you're trying to sell because the client's not going to. So your client has to be passionate about solving the problem, and then you're just there to help provide the solution.
0: Thanks so much, Ian, this has been really good. Regardless of whether or not you're a salesman, there's tons of psychology in here that people can use, both on the job and frankly, in their relationships as well. I'll leave some of that to everyone's imagination, but thank you so much. How can people find more from you?
2: You know what, on Twitter, it's revenue and my website is growmyrevenue.com and of course, every week in, uh, in Forbes, you can see my, uh, see my articles there as well. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jordan.
0: I love that. I've, I've been saying that it's better to be trusted than liked for a long time, and I couldn't really put my finger on it. It's just something I learned through experience, and I love having that articulated, and I think it's great. Everything you do should be about earning trust, not Getting the sale. And this is true both in business and in personal relationships. It's better to be trusted than to be liked. And that doesn't mean you can be a jerk as long as you don't lie, but I think he did a great job with it here. And, of course, the the quadrant thing that you write down all the phone conversations in is brilliant. It, it, you know, So often you get off the phone you think, okay, I got it, and then you realize, I don't got it. Especially if it's a business conversation, you'll see some serious results from using that. And last but not least, of course, looking at our own ego. Are we really looking for advice or are we just looking for validation? Bravo, Ian. Thanks so much for your time. And, of course, this show's a fanarchy. It means it's run by you you. I rely on you to keep my finger on the pulse. And of course, Jason, producer Jason helps a lot as well, but we're kind of helpless without you. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know. Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Ian on Twitter. We'll have that linked up in the show notes as well as the other resources mentioned on the show, including an article about how to do that quadrant drill that he mentioned. I also post tons of stuff on Twitter that just never makes it to the show. Articles, insights, funny stuff, or at least funny in my own mind. I'm at theartofcharm on Twitter. Our boot camp details for our live programs at theartofcharm.com slash boot camp. And remember, we're sold out five to six months in advance. So if you're even thinking about it a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP. Get some info from us so you can plan ahead. And of course on the website we've got our articles and our blog for those of you who just can't get enough AOC. And we really do dig deeper into some of these topics on the blog, so be sure to check that out as well. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. And please tell your friends. Because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.
1: Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.